Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and Ellie, and I became the Izzet Guild Master when Niv Mizzet ate Ral Zarek and choked on his bones. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I became the Guild Master of the Simic Combine after I took a spoon and ate Vanifar's jelly body like jello. <laughs> wow, this is really dark. I'm Brian Dawes, and I'd become the Selesnia Guildmaster when the Conclave decided it was time for me to ascend. I feel like a monster hearing hearing Brian's, like, peace and harmony one. I did a heckin' murder. So, hello, everyone. News for this week is uh, the story summary. Well, not the story summary. The story synopsis for The Wildered Quest is up on Amazon. And it talks about Will and Rowan Kenrith on the quest for their missing father, the High King. Super mysterious. I wonder what that could mean. What's the difference between a king and a high king? Why is he missing? I guess we'll have to wait and find out on, what, September 4th? Next time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> uh, it, it also confirms that, you know, the plane is Arthurian legend and Grimm's fairy tales, which is a great combination. Yeah, it's really fun. Again, I'm super excited for Eldraine, and I will talk about it plenty when when it is appropriate. Like, gods, so good. We haven't talked about it a whole lot, but we also don't want to blow through like talking about Arthurian legend and grim fairy tale tropes. And then when it comes time for the flavor gem episodes and whatnot, you've all heard that before. There will be plenty to say about Eldraine when Eldraine is being previewed and when it's actually out. We're not going to tackle that yet. All right, let's do some listener questions for the week. Our first listener question comes from at Dozer3142. Are Ugin, Bolas, and siblings older than the Thran? Like, did they witness the rise and fall of the Thran, Yogmoth's shenanigans, Urza and Mishra screwing around, and did nothing about it? The answer is yes, they are older than the Thran by a significant margin. Like, it was as long from when they were spawned by the Elder Dragons to the Thran as from the Thran to, like, the modern point in the story. It was over 10,000 years did they do anything about it well most of them were dead by the time urza and mishra came around uh by that point it was basically just chromium and arcades sabath by the time urza and mishra had their brothers war I mean, and and bolus and ugin were still around ugin they were both planeswalkers and were elsewhere yeah though. they're still around and as the story with Bolas goes, like he, as soon as he uh, ascended, he lost interest in Dominaria as a, as a, like world domination was nothing compared to multiversal domination. Except for Madara. Well, he kept a, you know he kept a little nostalgic toehold where he could manifest on the plane. All right, our next question is from at Mark Gatesman. How many confirmed old walkers are still around post-mending? It always feels like a high proportion to me. Also, are there any we know of besides Jaya who don't have magic-y stuff keeping age from being an issue? So what I'll say here is the number isn't actually all that high compared to what it might be. Especially with old walkers, when you're talking about a magic multiverse, it's basically like humans 
and goblin planeswalkers are the only ones who would even be close to dying out at this point if they were pre-mending. Because it's only been about 60 years and like elves and any other kind of magical creature are much longer lived than that. So our actual old walkers are Teferi, who has the time magic shenanigans, Liliana Vess, who had the demon deals, Nicol Bolas, who was an elder dragon, Jaya Ballard, who had nothing going on. That's why she's uh, elderly now. Karn is a golem, so, you know, he he weathers, he doesn't age. Timeless. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nahiri was trapped in the Hell Vault. So Nahiri doesn't have any other anti-aging stuff going on for her, but we also don't have a solid grasp on the core's lifespan. So it might be human-like, it might be... Then we have Obnixilis, who's a demon, Soren Markov, who's a vampire, Ugin, who's also an elder dragon. And then we had Venser, who... We're not really sure what was going on there. <laughs> he certainly did not seem like a uh, octogenarian like he should have been. So, I don't know. Some of that might have just been Scars of Mirrodin's continuity wonkiness. No, there, there is literally just no explanation why Venser looks the same 60 years after the Time Spiral novels. It, there just is none. Time Water. There's a lot of ways to, like, headcanon it, but uh, there's never been anything confirmed. Well, I mean, even just being a blue mage on Dominaria, Baron lived to, like, 400 before he met Urza and got the term, got the time water, so. But he also looked old. Venser doesn't even, doesn't even age. So, like, I have no idea what's going on with him. We'll figure it out one day. Or not, ever. As to the number of uh, pre-mending planeswalkers, we're at about 40 planeswalkers in the story since uh, Future Sight happened. And uh, this is only about a quarter of them. So I, I don't know if that number is high or low because there's literally no other comparison because this is the only IP where this matters. But uh, if a quarter feels high to someone, then maybe that's high, but it's only a quarter. And that is, there are three times as many post-mending planeswalkers as there are pre-mending planeswalkers. Although I will say, we cannot with certainty say if Nyssa is a, was born pre or post-mending. Um, although she ascended after the mending, so she is a, a post-mending planeswalker. She may have been born before it, like very shortly before it. There are other characters that that might apply to as well, like Sifa Grant might have been. Um, what I should note here is about half of the old walkers were existing characters ported over. One of our live listeners noted Azor was also an old walker. We haven't gotten a new planeswalker card for him, but as a sphinx, you know, he was, he has longevity there already. He, he has survived after the mending and for a thousand years before it as a, not as a planeswalker. So I don't think he counts. So let's move on to our last listener question of the week. Could Dak Faden have used his ability to copy the Immortal Sons? Could that have changed the outcome of the story? And that's from Mage Blade 2. I'm not sure how that would have helped. I mean, I, I guess it depends on what he's asking. Like, if, if Dak had survived till the end and unknowingly kept Ugin's plan from working as far as getting rid of Bolas to 
um, the meditation realm, that could have messed things up, but not really sure what the question is aimed at as far as using the Immortal Sun, so... So I think I need to explain Dak's ability a little bit here. His psychometry doesn't give him excessive magical power. It gives him the knowledge to recreate a spell. So he doesn't, like, copy an artifact spell. He learns the spell behind it. And if it's something within his abilities, he can use that spell. So we see him do it for weaker abilities. But, like, for instance, with his gauntlet, he can't just... Uh, the the magical gauntlet that he acquires during the Theros story, he can't just become uber powerful just because he touched that gauntlet. You know, he's still limited by his own power. So the Immortal Sun is powered by an Old Walker spark. Dak doesn't have that. So maybe he could have created a limited field where people couldn't planeswalk away, but um, I'm not sure how that would have helped him or the story at that point. One of my favorite little details uh, that was added to the web fiction version of the War of the Sparks story is that uh, during one of during the first summit meeting where all the planeswalkers get together, <laughs> um, Dax sneaks up behind Kiora and uses his psychometry on Dekela, the Biden, and it like totally blows his mind and he like just backs away terrified because he has just absorbed the history of use of the weapon of a god of theros and it just like shatters his brain and it's so funny i think he's described as regretting all of his life choices up until that point or something <laughs> yeah it's it was it was really funny and and just another reason why i love dak as a character the little details in the web fiction that the web fiction added in those scenes were all yeah. great. And like, if you haven't read IDW's comics uh, with Dak, like um, I, I myself haven't read all of them. Um, I've read some of them and, and they're really fun. Dak is a really fun character and I'm, I'm still really salty that he's dead because he didn't need to die. And now we just won't have more Dak adventures, even though he's great. So I miss him. Yeah, I miss my boy. He's, he's a good little himbo. Now, you know how I feel about Illidomri. That was like 20 years ago, Brian. Let it go. <laughs> this is still fresh. It was this year, Brian. It's still fresh for me. We see all the weatherlight people getting new cars and where's Eldamri? Still giving El Shroud. One day. One day. All right. So let's talk about the stories of the past few weeks. We have not covered the Gathering Storm in a few weeks now. So we have a little bit of a backlog to get through. So let's start with The Gathering Storm, Chapter 7. So Hikara, Ral, and Vraska all begin the assault on Orzova, which is some very cool action scenes. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's clear Django had a lot of fun putting this together. So Hikara, Ral, and Vraska are doing kind of a distraction frontal assault where they just kind of bust in. From the sewer! from the sewer and are destroying things as a distraction for Kaya who infiltrates in through the Obsidot into the Obsidot sanctum. So she makes her way through the crypts. If you remember back to, I think it's family values. Tessa ends up going with Tajik to get through to the Obsidot sanctum, um, through a side route underground. And Kaya is going to the same general place here. 
eventually Hikara, Ral, and Vraska and their forces start to get overwhelmed. So Ral blows a hole in the wall to escape. Uh, and everyone's like, we're on like the fourth floor. What do we do? How are we going to just jump? Uh, meanwhile, down below in the crypts, uh, Kaya is fighting these two giant guards guarding the, the door to the Obsidots chamber. Uh, and she eventually gets through and starts slaying the Obsidot one by one. There's a great line from one of them where they realize that, you know, all their millennia of accumulated wealth and what they thought was their intangibility, their inability to be touched or harmed, uh, they realize real quick that's not the case anymore. And one of my favorite lines is, I think it's a, a matriarch uh, on, on the Ghost Council that goes, how are you doing this? As Kaya is just kind of calmly making her way through, assassinating them one after another. It's it's a really great scene. It reminds me a lot of the scene in Dogma when Matt Damon and Ben Affleck get to the movie's headquarters. It's like that, but not a Kevin Smith movie and in magic. It, it's just a bunch of rich, bloated asshats getting murdered justly. It feels a lot like that. Um, or or if uh, anyone uh, has seen Shazam, the recent movie, uh, there, there's a kind of similar boardroom murder sequence that is, uh, oh, yeah. is good. Shazam was also very good. Uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Also, Philly rep. Yeah, so the one thing that, that confused me about this whole thing is how does Rao get out and not be identified by anyone who was there? Like, they weren't killing everyone. Like, they were killing the people who were attacking. So, they were the people down in the, in the bottom floor who they let get away. Like, if anybody's asking any kind of questions, like, who did this? It's like, well, it's not like <laughs> Rao is not a public figure of some sort. So, how does he not get ID to be like... And have to explain himself. Oh, okay, but 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 seriously, <laughs> how many of your city council members would you recognize if you saw them in public? How many sta- other state governors would you recognize? Like, I I don't think it's that unusual that a general population, uh, especially guards within the Orshov, who probably spend most of their lives in Orshova, maybe have just like literally never seen another guild master um probably have mostly not seen other guild members um and probably don't know who he is other than he's some is it guy i mean i guess that's fair but there's also the idea that the orzov can resurrect some of these people like they can bring back their spirits and be like hey uh can you give us descriptions of who did this or what I bet happened is Ral was wearing his trench coat and was therefore completely <laughs> incognito. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it matters how much he was identified because when the Obsidot are dead, the people in charge were the people who wanted them there killing people so they didn't pursue it. That's fair. But it's one of those things about the plan. Like, if the plan goes wrong, like they're 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 in a a world of trouble. But okay. oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it was just the thing that I, that occurred to me while I was reading. I was like, dude, they aren't even wearing masks. Like, He's, could you imagine <laughs> Ral Zarek with like pantyhose pulled over his head? He'd, you'd still see like the streaks of white in his hair. 
he'd still be wearing like the giant uh accumulator accumulator on his back (laughs) he's like ral is that you uh no don't worry about it. Hear the bolt of lightning in the face. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Jay, I appreciate you making all our listeners now imagine Ralph Zarek in pantyhose. You are doing a great service to queer communities around the world. So uh, Ralph and all the rest escape, except for Kaya, escape on Golbet Frezzle's Cloud Lifter, which is a card I very much want as a vehicle. It appears in both of these stories and in War of the Spark. It is, it's basically just like a basic skyship, but it's got the greatest name with, because it belongs to a guy named Golbet Frezzle. As Kaya finishes killing off the Obsidot, she realizes that as she killed each one, their debts accrued onto her. So like these chains of debts linking her to all of the Obsidot's obligations uh, just start taking hold of her soul. And when she kills uh, Uncle Mark, not Uncle Mark, Uncle Karlov, she, grandfather, grandfather Karlov, he gets called uncle by, it's a whole thing. Uh, do you know the, do you know the history of that? Ghost dad, uncle. He's, he is both Tessa's uncle and grandfather, kind of, because he got very handsy with his brother's wife. It's a whole thing. Um... <laughs> So anyway, when Grandfather Karlov dies, uh, Kaya ends up getting knocked unconscious because the weight of these accumulated debts just proved to be too much. So that about does it for Chapter 7. It's this very cool infiltration and assassination mission. I really like how Django uses Kaya's uh, phasing ability, her intangibility. It leads for a lot of really cool action scenes, like when we're first introduced to her and end in this, we get really cool examples of what she can do. Yeah, um, we don't get a lot of visual ideas of what Planeswalker magic looks like a lot, but uh, so much of Kaya's power is visual in nature, so we see her turning intangible in a lot of her card art, and I think that's very cool. And uh, like, like I love in Modern Horizons, uh, we got to have Kaya's Guile and watch her full ghost leaping through a wall about to stab a guy. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Um, and she is, uh, like, we, we, we think about, like, the Netflix series coming up and, like, we don't know anything about it, but I'm just sitting there, like, one of the things I would love to see is a sequence of like an action sequence with Kaya phasing through things and climbing and jumping and leaping and stabbing. That would look amazing animated. And I want that like so bad. Yeah, like some of the action sequences that are described in the War of the Spark novel where she's just going through bad guys and killing them as they like overcompensate trying to hit her and she walks through them and then stabs them in the eye with part of her hand in court. Like, part of her body incorporeal while her hand is sticking through their head with the dagger. Just, like, some of that stuff is pretty cool. And that I agree. That would be really cool to see animated or live action. So the next was Chapter 8. And uh, Ral starts this chapter by meeting Dovin, who he doesn't know is a really bad guy yet. But he still doesn't like a lot because Dovin is... Azorius bureaucracy in order and Ral is like but I want to do weirdo experiments so they meet at Beacon Tower this is the big machine that Ral is helping construct 
and uh, this is this is what eventually sends out the Planeswalker beacon that draws everyone to Ravnica. But shh, we don't know that's part of Nicol Bolas's plan yet. <gasps> not even what? not even Raul knows because um, he's being manipulated. So uh, he 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 and Dovin. Uh, so Dovin seated an Azorius tower that that fit like all the height requirements and like all these other restrictions for the project. Um, cause we know Dovin is working for Bolas and we know that Dovin is like what Dovin and Tezra are really the only two Bolas pawns that are really knowingly working for him. Um, uh, in this story. Yeah. yeah like, no, I just, I just, I mean, knowingly working for him, knowing that he's like not a great dude. Uh, no, do, no, Dovin doesn't know everything, but he knows, I think more than anybody else other than Tezzeret probably. Um, but he kind of doesn't care cause he likes rules. He's a jerk. So he is, he is helping along this project because it's part of the Bolas plan, but Ral doesn't know that yet. Um, and uh, they actually have a really fun conversation. Like their conversation reminds me a lot of why I really like Dovin in the Kaladesh block, um, he, where he's this kind of lawful neutral. He's stuffy and he's by the book, but he's uh, he has a sense of humor that is very dry and very deadpan. And is very elitist. <laughs> um, that is kind of enjoyable. Like you would see someone like him on Arrested Development, I think. Um, and I think he would work great on that kind of show. But but so there's like a comment here where uh, he talks about the workers being rowdy because um, it's mostly is it goblins um, who, by the way, get to the top of the tower within a giant uh, was it a catapult or a slingshot? They just kind of like shoot. Oh them. yeah, this is one of. Listen, this is one of Django's best inventions, is the elevator that did not start out life as an elevator. Uh, Django does this a couple times in the story where he describes, like, the he really nails the it in these stories. And he describes these it inventions that never start out as what they end up being used for. Yeah, the, uh, the skyship in... Uh... Chapter 7 was like that, too. Anyway, um, so Dovin is like, yeah, they're all rowdy. They're joking around. Like, what? They asked me for an alligator sandwich. And Raul, like, kind of snickers at that because they're, like, pranking their boss because their boss is a, is a, is a uh, asshole. Um, but then but then Dovin kind of has this very slight humorous smile and says, so, of course, I procured it. Like, he is not... He is going to call every bluff that gets thrown at him because he's that petty, kind of. Um, he gets really petty about Tezzeret in the Kaladar story, too, and then, uh, like, really dunks on Baral, um, which I liked him for, and then they made him, like, an absolute evil fascist, and, oh, well, I guess I'm done liking Dovin as a character. But uh, that whole scene is fun, and it talks about how uh, when the beacon starts up it won't stop until the power is drained there is no off switch and which becomes a kind of plot point at the beginning of the war the at the beginning of the war of the spark novel um so then we move on to kaya's part and she wakes up in this really fancy bedroom and she's like okay this is weird and then Tasa shows up and explains, "Hey, you're Guildmaster now." And Kaya's like, oh, "But you're supposed to be Guildmaster. What am I still doing here?" And Tasa's like, "Well, you see, when you killed the Obzadat, you absorbed all their debts, which means 
we can't really do anything about you because that might release all the debts. And we actually, we have many law majors working on it now and we don't know how to get you out of this, but we're working on it. Sorry. You got to stay. You have to, <laughs> you cannot leave Ravnica for the time being because you might like destroy our whole guild if you leave. We don't know how this magic works. We just learned about like the multiverse. So uh, have fun. It's never happened before. Pretty much. <laughs> like like the, the the members of the Obzadot have changed, but... Um, the Obzadot was around for the founding of the guild, so it's been more than 10,000 years since anyone else has ruled the Orzov. Kaya's breaking all the rules and the laws aren't meant to accommodate her, so she's kind of stuck right now. What's great about this interaction is that Tessa is kind of nonchalant about the fact, oh yeah, we would have assassinated you if we were sure that we could get away with it and all these deaths wouldn't disappear. <laughs> yeah, like I like Tasa a lot. She's a really cool character, but uh, she's she's not a great person a lot. And and I think pe there's a lot to like about her, but like she's still a very high ranking Orzhov oligarch, and uh, that doesn't make her like her being against the Elfzadot doesn't make her any less ruthless or cunning than anybody else in the guild. And that's really enjoyable. Yeah, it's important to note the distinction between the Obsidot, Tessa, and Kaya here. Because uh, Kaya was kind of thrown into all of this. She doesn't really believe in the Orzhov. Tessa had a personal grudge against the, the Obsidot, but was also tired of them. They were more like robber barons, whereas Tessa's version would be... Not quite that bad, but still not kind and generous. And she she's a lot closer to that kind of lawful neutral space where the Obsidian might be lawful evil, if we're going to use D&D &D alignment terms. Um, she's will do what she needs to do to maintain structure in the guild. I mean, she wrote a temporary guild pact. Uh, she's a very good advocate, which is why she hired Tomic. But... Uh, She's, she's, uh, I guess we can call her an anti-hero. Um, I, I think she fits enough of that kind of archetype. I think that's reasonable. Because um, she, like, she obviously doesn't want Ravnica destroyed, but she really doesn't want to change the Orzhov. She just wants to be in charge of it. Um, they're like, if a Tesa-led Orzhov would probably still have all these debts and still enslave people's souls and still make flesh thralls and like yeah, that's questionable but she's a really fun character anyway um <laughs> the most important part of the story is that we get another Ral nightmare which are flashbacks to his youth um and uh his 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 life in i cannot pronounce the district he grew up in tavarna tavnar i can't do it tav Tavarna. Tavarna. Okay, whatever. Tavarna. Anyway, so um, <laughs> we learned in an earlier story he was approached by Nicol Bolas, and uh, Bolas kind of became his patron and, and took took the identity of an aristocrat in the area and has been hiring Ral to basically be a heavy and collect money from people or beat up gang members and has, um, I, I think it's implied that Bolus is the person who's teaching Ral um, electromancy. 
Yes, his storm magic. This is the because he, um, yeah, he was because he was a rain mage before, and now this is the first time in his life that he's like using lightning as in a magical capacity. So uh, we don't know if that's part of his innate abilities that Bolas is bringing out, or if that's something Bolas has taught him. That isn't clear, but he he can do lightning now. So the rain mage title was more of a derogatory. Oh, he's a weak weak wizard kind of thing he's always been a storm mage he just didn't know how to use his powers in a way that was terrifying right and now (laughs) he is um so uh in this time there uh his he and so uh his boyfriend at the time is a writer a poet and his career takes off and like Rao has this sneaking suspicion that Bolas has something to do with it. Um, so both of them are making pretty good money. They now live in like a big two or three story townhouse. And uh, his boyfriend throws fancy parties and hangs out with aristocrats while Rao disappears into the night and misses all these parties doing Bolas's dirty work. And uh, so he goes to a slummier part of the district to collect uh, a loan, loan debts. Bolas is essentially loan sharking in this backwater district on Ravnica, which... I would love to learn more about because that's weird for Nicol Bolas. Why? Um, yeah, like why? Why is he even bothering? I hope I hope we learn out later. So note that this is this is the time period when the Infinite Consortium would still be active on Ravnica. Right. So we know he already had like a gangster organization there, right. and then when Tezzeret usurped it, he had his own counter mob there too that was constantly on Tezzeret's butt. Yeah, my assumption is that Bola somehow knew Rao was a planeswalker and it was grooming him. That's what I'm going to assume. Maybe we'll learn more. I don't know. Um, anyway, so Rao goes uh, to this to to try and get some money from someone who owes on their loan. And it, there's this woman who's uh, knitting in her apartment and Ral is pressing her and and then all of a sudden her young son rushes out and stabs a knife into Ral's side and Ral Ral has his hand up electrified kind of threateningly and then when he gets stabbed he instinctively blasts the boy with lightning and slams him against the wall and the mom starts freaking out saying she'll pay she'll pay she'll pay and runs over to the kid and then Ral is like oh no, what did I just do? And runs over, and the kid is having a heart attack, so Rao kind of manipulates the electricity in his body to to restore his heart rate, and is just like, oh my god, I just electrocuted a kid, I'm just supposed to be like asking people for money, and I just nearly killed a child, and also I'm bleeding from my side, oh my god. <laughs> so he makes his way back home, and uh, so he gets back late, and he's like, barely able to stand he's like on the verge of passing out because he's bleeding a lot um and is very stressed and uh he it sounds like a little bit of the party is still going on so he goes over to their big entertaining room and opens the door and thinks oh no someone is attacking my boyfriend which two seconds later he realizes he is mistaken and that some other dude is macking on his boy and uh, that's the traumatic thing that ignites Ral Zarek's spark. So yeah, he has been stabbed. He feels like a monster for nearly killing a child. 
and then he shows up to find he's being cheated on and i think the weight of all three of those things together just kind of breaks him it it breaks him um especially because he gets blamed for it which that's not what you do i mean i mean you you don't cheat on people to begin with but his boyfriend is like well you're never around anymore communication is key guys no 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 (laughs) like like legit legit read the sections with Ral and Tomek I mean these stories because they're really good their relationship seems really healthy and they communicate well and they support each other well and it's really wholesome and really nice and I love them both um this past one's not so great so uh that's kind of where that story ends where with Ral sparking because he's a bleeding gay mess of a storm mage so let's move on to chapter nine. Chapter nine is mostly set up for a the climax that comes in chapter 10. So what they've been working towards these last eight chapters is finally coming to fruition. The summit is about to happen. Ral doesn't know if they can pull the guilds together, but he's hopeful because he's like, man, if you had asked me a month ago, I wouldn't have thought we could ever get even as far as we did. So maybe we can get you know, maybe we can get this done, get uh, Niv-Mizzet imbued with power and fight off Nicol Bolas. And so he's actually like at an all-time high right now. Kaya, meanwhile, is hating her new role, especially in the kind of clerical pontiff stuff she has to do with them. And she gets approached by this Orzov servitor, or I forget exactly what they call him, but it's basically a debt slave. And ends up forgiving her debt because, like, this person got charged an outrageous interest rate to buy medicine, essentially. Uh, So she forgives the debts, and this is the start of a a pretty sharp division between her and the rest of the guild. Because a guildmaster of the Orzhov who is forgiving debts is not a good thing at all. Well, I mean, it's an excellent thing, but not for the Orzhov oligarchs. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> the the oligarchy is not happy about this. So meanwhile, in the Undercity, Vraska is approached by another messenger of Bolas, who kind of reminds her that she is still within his grasp. You know, Vraska at this point has her memories back. She doesn't want to work for Bolas. But Bolas says to her about the erstwhile, huh, Handy, you had this sudden zombie army that was able to take over the guild for you. It would be a shame if someone had to do to you and all of your people what you did to the ruling Devkarin. And Vraska is left with kind of this terrible decision where Bolas has some instructions for her uh, in order to further his agenda. And she's just left thinking to herself, man, this seemed so simple when we were just... It was me and Jace and the crew of the belligerent on the high seas. It was like, there's nothing we couldn't do. But now that we're back here, and now that I'm in charge of the Golgari, like, I have to think about my people, the Golgari. You know, Jace isn't here to help me plan around this. And Bolas is, and can kill everyone. So she's left with a really bad choice, which we see the final effects of in chapter 10. Um, what's also interesting about this encounter with Bolas is that Bolas does mention Jace. Bolas just, like, knows. So, 
this whole little gambit that Jace thinks is going to work and Vraska thought was going to work ends up amounting to nothing, um, which, A, is a little bit disappointing. Um, I, I still don't like that Jace isn't the one that gets to bring her memories back. But, but like, Bolas knows and he doesn't care. He doesn't care that Jace and Vraska were trying to get a leg up on him. That's how arrogant he is, but also he has put together a pretty good plan for what it's worth. And it would have worked if it wasn't for Liliana. He is terrifying. Like, he gains control over her erstwhile guards that are around her in the moment and turns them on her and, like, corners her. And that is... And he does that through a pawn, which is terrifying. Um, and and it, one of the things I really like about the different Bolas pawns, um, so they've, they've shown up to Ral and Kaya and Frasca now, um, Ral in the past, in his uh, flashbacks, but uh, every time they are described as having toothy grins. Oh, and, and um, Garo, right? That was the name of the Silesnian? Who they the Spearmaster or whatever yeah. he was, yeah. Yeah, um, they're all described as having Bolus's voice and having like a fanged mouth and like um, that consistency of description for his pawns, I think, is really neat. All the way back to Chronicle of Bolus when he was the transformed uh, pregnant woman. Yes, like like it's 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 been a really cool detail that's been followed through in all these stories. Um, yeah, so then we get to chapter 10, which was the one from last week. And finally, the guild summit happens, and all ten guilds show up to this uh, meeting room at the Azorius Senate, and uh, they enter the room, and Asperia's already at the front of the room, and Borberigmos is there, who was convinced to show up by uh, Niv-Mizzet for esoteric reasons that we aren't told. The Orzhov have uh, Kaya and Tesa. Ral obviously represents the Izzet. The Simics send some new characters. They are biomancers that we don't know their identities. Um, but they show up in an, an or, in an organic carriage that pulls itself with tentacles, which is delightful. <laughs> Hikara is there as a representative of the Rakdos. Amara shows up with a bunch of other elves for the Selesnia. Uh, Lazav himself is there. But he's like a glitched up um, illusion version of him that doesn't show any of his identity. Uh, so, like, there is no base Lazav figure, as far as we know. Um, and he's just kind of like a, like a glitchy, uh, shifting, unreadable illusion and he's just he just sits there and everyone is like super freaked out by him. Aurelia and the Boros show up. Um she has a little spat with Boborigmos, which is um kind of a kind of a thread that's been running through Nikki Draden's stories and uh this story now and these stories now is that the Boros and the Gruul are really at each other's necks. Correction. Aurelia doesn't have a spat. Aurelia's uh subordinate has a spat Aurelia's like we don't have time for this yeah, there, there, there's a minotaur that gets in a shouting match um which in my head canon is the minotaur from Nikki Draden's Burroughs story but that's not confirmed but that would be nice if she got promoted up that high um and then Vraska shows up all alone with no other Golgari folks so they start having a talk and it's a 
it goes about as well as you'd think. Everyone's worried about how this whole council is going to go. And some people question, um, you know, the validity of the bolus threat and whatnot. Um, and they're, and they're having a talk. And then all of a sudden a shadow appears overhead and Niv Mizzet himself lands on the side of the building and kind of sticks his head in and says, sup. <laughs> so if y'all are in agreement, we can actually rewrite the guild pact and give me the power necessary to fight Nicol Bolas. So that's going to be our plan, okay? And then everyone freaks out and is like, whoa, wait a minute. Is that why you invited us here? You're the guild master <laughs> of the Izzet. We can't give you the power. A, that's against the guild pact itself. And B, that's insane. We're not giving one guild all that power. And Niv is like, no, 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 don't worry. When we go through this plan, I will abdicate my role as guild master, give it over to Ral over there, so I won't be affiliated with the Izzet. And hey, as the living guild pact, I would be bound by responsibility, so there's nothing to worry about. And everyone's kind of like mumbling about it. So Esperia uh, calls for a recess. Um, so they'll, they'll meet up again tomorrow. Here's the problem. Frasca is in her room feeling really, really, really uncomfortable because the Azorius are the people who threw her in prison when she was 17, uh, 20 years ago. So we actually, by the way, learned Frasca's age. She is 37. Um, so another character age confirmed, which is always fun. Fun little details. Jace has a thing for older women. Um, which is perfectly fine. <laughs> in his defense, Vraska's the the age gap between him and Vraska is way smaller than the age gap between him and Liliana, by over a hundred years. He is targeting people closer to his age, closer and closer. I'm sure the next one will be actually his age. Uh, if there is a next one, <laughs> Xenos's dating paradox. Every girlfriend <laughs> he gets is half again closer to his own age. <laughs> Uh, so, so Vraska is feeling extraordinarily uncomfortable. Um, Esperia is the one who signed the Azorius, the order for the Azorius raids that got her thrown in prison, that got her beaten in a prison riot that ignited her spark. Um, and then a note comes out under her door and it says, come down and meet in the summit hall. The guards will not be there. And she says, well, this sounds sketchy, but... She goes, and Asperia is there writing some stuff down in a book by herself. And uh, kind of ignores Vraska when she gets there. And Vraska kind of clears her throat. And Asperia is like, oh, it's you. And then Vraska is like, yeah, it's me, bitch. You remember who I am? <laughs> you signed the sword that got my ass kicked in prison. I had to cower on the floor, covered in my own feces, covering my eyes out of fear that people would beat me in prison just for being a Gorgon, because that's what you threw me in there for. I wasn't even working with the Golgari. And I woke up in a swamp somewhere just because I wanted to get away from the horrible police brutality that you signed an order to. And Isperia's like, whoa, calm down. I know. But the Golgari were too rowdy. We had to sign the order. And I'd do it again. And Vrasco was like, okay, but would you do it again? Do you regret it? And Isperia's like, I absolutely made the right decision and I do not feel bad for it. And then bam! Turn to stone. <laughs> With that sound effect. Bam! That is not canon. That that is the sound that Vraska's eyes make when they petrify. Jay things. said it, so... <laughs> Jay said it, so it's canon, right? That's how this works, right? No. no. 
No, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. No, no. It, it, just because I say it does not make it so. No, it's canon now. It's canon. Um, the only person who can make things canon by saying make it so is Jean-Luc Picard. So, um, And Jay, you have way too much hair for that. Also, it's true. you're not as good a flautist or a recorder player, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't watch Star Trek. I don't. I also don't have that sexy deep voice like I wish. Engage. Anyway, <laughs> this story ends with the morning after and the discovery that Asperia is dead and Vraska is nowhere to be seen and the guild members falling away and Rao panicking. This one was pretty heavy, huh? We are halfway through. We have ten more of these to go. So now we know that the Guild Summit did not go through. What are you both anticipating happens next? I assume we get some more hardcore Bolas plot stuff. I assume we'll see more of his direct machinations. We obviously are going to have a Ral and Hakara and Vraska and Lavinia team up at some point and Kaya team up mm-hmm. which gets us to the beacon uh, so we know that happens we know where this has to end right yeah um, so we know Niv-Mizzet has to challenge Bolas and die and it's super weird to me because I like the way that the book started I anticipated like that whole combat scenario starting right when the guild summit failed but the way this is leading out that they were completely separate events and like I, I guess it it kind of leaves me wondering how Rao co- gets into a position where he trusts Veraska enough to get close to her again, or if the or if I just greatly misinterpreted the beginning of the novel. But maybe I just need to reread it. I don't think you're you're misreading things. I think without revealing anything. There is, you know, a lead up to to chapter 20, and uh, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. There are, let's say, feelings that are going to be expressed <laughs> throughout the next chapters, uh, which is, like, all I really want to say, because I don't want to spoil anything. But let me tell you, if you liked these first 10, you're going to like the back 10. There's one story in particular there that is top five magic stories of all time for me. Look, as long as they keep being gay, that's good for me. <laughs> there is more gay. Yes. Nice. I can confirm that without spoiling anything. Well, I mean, technically, that is by definition a spoiler. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, L- Lorelai corrected you, so she gets your job now, right? That- that's how this... Lorelai is once more the... Uh, the... Lorelai is like the... She becomes the the lore master like every other week or or every other day, frankly. Yeah, still haven't seen any money from it, though. Nope. (laughs) Just conveniently forgetting your application in the mail. Let's move on to final thoughts. I personally am excited to see more Throne of Eldraine stuff, but I'm also glad we've got like three weeks spoiler free. Because it was a it was a heckin' quarter two, y'all, and quarter three for that matter. Hopefully, quarter four is a little easier on my soul. Uh, we're gonna have a lot 
Well, I don't want to say a lot less Vorthos content because we do still have 10 more weeks of Django Weffler stuff. Um, and then we do have another novel. Um, but it's it's a short novel or a long novella. Um, I think they said the page count was around like 212 for the Throne of Eldraine book. And then, then we'll hopefully have less. I don't know. We've been so busy. Yeah, we have 10 more chapters of The Gathering Storm. Two more issues of Magic the Gathering Chandra, four issues of Chandra Trials of Alara, War of the Spark Forsaken in November, uh, The Wildered Quest in September. I forgot about the next War of the Spark novel. Oh, we're going to have so much. We're never not going to be busy. Yep. We're going to be busy forever. Um, But this is great. Like, I guess I'll make this my final thought is like, we exist at a time period that is unprecedented for Vorthoses. We have more Vorthos content now than has ever existed in the history of magic. We have web fiction. We have multiple novels that are block stories. We have novels that are not block stories. We have comics. Uh, we have more Vorthos content creation that has than has ever existed. Um, you know, that includes us. Yay us. Uh, like... There, there is more art being produced for Magic. Um, if you've been following the Wizards of the Coast uh, job postings, they've been hiring over the last couple of years a lot of positions in their art department, a lot of art directors. They've been adding new artists to Magic at record paces. Um, you look at Modern Horizons added 100 plus uh, pieces of new Magic art. We have way more magic, new art in uh commander uh 2019 than any past commander set most of the commander sets for reprints have had maybe one two or three new arts we had i I think it's 13 14 or 15 in this one um so huge increase in new art for that we just have so much so much is happening it's really good it's really nice i like it a lot we're gonna have a netflix show (laughs) (laughs) yeah geez there's gonna be like mass market magic media yeah there's gonna be an influx i don't think any of us are ready for when that uh when that netflix show hits god if it doubles our listener numbers that would be great (laughs) brian once again i'm super excited for the new commander decks but i'm having trouble building my my theme deck i'm trying to figure out what i want to do because I have a poll going as far as uh, what I should build, and I I didn't include Tongarth because couldn't fit him in the slot. But I've I've been building it on the side, and it's um it's super weird. And Squee, while it's cool, just like I don't know if I want to build a commander around that uh, or a deck around that. So I'm trying to decide whether I should just build Tongarth or continue on with the poll results outside of Squee. Tongarth is hard for a Voltron build because there aren't a ton of good auras or and there's no equipment from his time period. So like I mean, does it have to be equi- does it have to be from his time period? It doesn't. It doesn't at all. But uh for like the flavor decks we're building, it just makes it hard to get up to like a, a high percentage of flavor cards. Yeah, we want these decks to be as flavorful as possible. Some of us are taking that more strictly than other people. I have to cut 11 cards from my Greven deck, but I'll have both Greven and Sisse that'll both be at least 80% in flavor. 
Yeah, I, I'm going to post a deck. I'm going to post a couple decks. I've been brewing a couple decks, so I'm going to I think I'm going to post some and then see what people say or what I should do. I don't know. Um, but it's it's been an interesting test because Ton there's not a lot of stuff to go with Tongarth. He's not on a lot of cards. He's not quoted on a lot of cards. Um, but there there are some things you can do, and I like. I'm kind of happy with the results so far, but it still seems kind of weird, so I'm not sure if it's something that I'm actually going to go through with. So I'm going to do Tongarth or e take the easy way out and pick Urza or Yawgmoth. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. I think Grevin and Volrath are super cool, and I kind of regret not swooping in on those. <laughs> Just do Grevin. I'll, I'll use my Sisei deck. I mean, I'm going to have both there, so it doesn't matter. Well, I'll have my Volrath deck, which only has cards from Tempest, Stronghold, Exodus, and Nemesis. So, get ready for that. So, if y'all out there in the World Wide Web, or wherever you listen to our podcast, enjoy our show as much as we like making it, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast, where you can support us directly and help us keep making an episode every week. Everyone who supports our show for as little as $1 a month gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from all over the planet are gathered together to talk about this boon of riches of content. And uh, we're actually, like, maybe working on another D&D one-shot or a couple-part adventure. We've run a, a couple D&D things. Uh, we had one set on Ravnica, one set on Innistrad, so that's a thing that happens sometimes. Uh, it's, it's a great time. The Discord's great. We've got lots of good people there. So, at minimum, you support us on Patreon, you get there. We also have monthly episodes called Pool from the Deep. They're short, uh, kind of between 10 and 15 minutes of about some whatever topic that one of us or a couple of us want to talk about that month. You can get those at a higher tier, and then at our highest tier, you get to do live listens. We record Thursday nights around 7 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, and live listens mean you get to hear us banter before and after the episode. It'll let you hear all the little screw-ups we do during the show that get cut out. It also does get you episodes a couple days early because you've heard us record it and don't have to wait till Mondays. So, everyone who supports on Patreon, we are super duper thank you, thankful for because we cannot keep making the show without you. And y'all are superheroes in our eyes. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.